0: Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Hi, all Welcome. This
1: is the episode that we have been alluding to, vaguely threatening you with promising, you name it. This is the Special Appeal with Sam Swaim. So I'm going to put Sam back in the hot seat. We are going to bring forward all of her strategic knowledge all around the Special Appeal. Because if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times, that is your number one money-making opportunity at your fundraising event. Yes, it is. Period. do it. Full stop. So that's why we're here. That's the frame for today. We are going to walk through what is an appeal? Mm -hmm. That's important. It's very important to understand. I think sometimes regionally and also from organization to organization, what that is and what that's looked like for them historically, as well as what it's even called can vary. I think how it's done throughout the country can vary. Um, So we want to talk a little bit about just What what are we even talking about? Yes. Um, Have you ever done it at an event? If not, here's what that can look like. Then we're going to break it down into some very achievable parts. And then we're going to take a look at, once you've done that, what strategy can look like. Love it. So there's asking for money, and then there is strategically helping that money ask you, allow you to continue to ask for money. Yes. And the special appeal becomes a vehicle that we can do that. So- um, Sam, yes, easy one first. Okay, what is a special appeal?
2: Well, you've teed it up really nicely. It's that big fundraising opportunity at an event, and it's interesting to me how many people in the world of fundraising events gather people with the intention of fundraising. Sometimes there's a secondary intention of friend raising. Sometimes the friend raising actually takes a front seat, where the goal is let's just introduce people to the work that we do. But when you have people gathered, there is a big opportunity there to raise a lot of money. And I think a lot of folks don't know how to go about it. And so the paddle raise, the special appeal, the direct ask for support can look a lot of different ways. But without it, you're not actually raising a lot of money at the event. There may be some transactional activities like a silent auction or a raffle, but none of those have the potential as that moment when you directly ask people to support your mission. So we call it the special appeal because it is that like direct ask for supportive mission. I want to talk about and dissect a lot about how people do that and sort of what the different trends have been over time. But regionally, I think there are different cultures around yeah. asking for money. Yeah. In the 90s, there was a model that was-
1: Yes, for all of you, there was a 90s. (laughs) We were fundraising in the 90s. It's going to be okay. I promise.
2: There was a fundraising model that became really popular at that time, and it's continued to today. And um, that model was really intended to be an acquisition event in which it's very commonly seen as a breakfast or a lunch event Short program, light introduction to the work, and then a low dollar, low, like passive ask. And when I say- Like passive, envelopes on tables. Sort well, of and passive. some people didn't even do that. Like, oh, I think yeah, it started with people saying things like, and if you feel compelled, talk to us about a <laughs> gift, right? <laughs> but over time, I think as it evolved, it became a more active, there's an envelope at your plate, please fill it out and turn it in. We have learned- through a lot of research in neuroscience, a lot about giving trends, and then just through our own work, the more active you make that moment, the more money you raise. So that evolved into the East Coast and West Coast. So when I say East, I probably actually should say the Northeast. Right. The entire West Coast and Northeast of both Canada and the U.S., started to see active paddle raises used where it was almost an extension of the live auction. So you've seen auctions in play where someone raises a paddle. That then started to evolve into a direct ask for cash, and people would raise a paddle to demonstrate their giving. Right. So that brings us to sort of today, in which there's so many ways to give. There are text to give tools now. You can use your cell phone and scan a QR code. You can be participating in a webinar or a virtual event and click to donate. Um, you can raise that paddle. But What I want to make sure that we're diving into are what are some of the best practices that you can apply so that we can really start to see more people leveraging this moment that takes an event from a $40,000 fundraiser to a $300,000 fundraiser. It is that like differential.
1: So before we start diving into sort of the specific elements Mm -hmm. of the appeal, I want to continue to frame the big picture story because I think you just tapped into something really important we're actually moving into talking about two different models yeah. of events. And that, that special appeal can be a point of differentiation between them because I think often people are in an acquisition addiction model. Cycle. Yes. Right? Cycle with their acquisition event, which yeah. has a time and place. Yeah. You then need to graduate your donors into something else. And when they become major donors – they're aware they're coming to a fundraiser, yeah. right? They're not just coming to learn about your organization. Acquisition will always happen with right. a major donor event. But at the major donor event, I think we hear, I don't want to call it pushback, but we hear from organizations, they paid a ticket price.
2: Right. I'm not going to
1: get anything else out of them. Can you talk about the invite, yeah. the opportunity of a special appeal for your donor, not just for your organization, but what that can be for your donor.
2: Yeah. It's interesting because I think that we're missing on some of the psychology of the moment, right? So if you think about any religion or any social justice movement, they are built on a couple of key factors. They are all rooted in gathering, bringing people together around a cause. They're all rooted in shared language, which an event allows you to gather around a cause and share the language of your organization, share your story, and they're all rooted in a call to action of some sort, right? So let's say, for example, um, we are big fans of the work of Habitat for Humanity in Savannah, Georgia, an area that hasn't traditionally had a lot of big active paddle raises in their community, This organization at their event has been instituting active paddle raise and is seeing tremendous results. In fact, Zarek Samples, who's the CEO, he's going to be joining us at Elevate, the event conference we have coming up on February 1st and 2nd. He's going to be there to speak about the fact that gratitude in that moment is a powerful motivator for, for giving and to share his case study about what's been happening and it starts first with the fact that we're all together in community. Right. It then moves into that sense of people feeling like I'm a part of something. Yep. Now, I can't fly to Savannah, Georgia and build houses. Like I don't have all the unlimited time I would love to be able to go volunteer and do that. But I can make a donation at an event, right? So that call to action is an invitation in. Yep. And it's a way for me to make the change I want to see in the world. It's a way for a donor to manifest the world that they want to live in. It's a way for them to have impact on the change or the mission without actually having to be in the work volunteering or doing the day-to-day. So the invitation to attend a fundraising event, first and foremost, says we want you to be a part of something. Right. But then if you go to that fundraising event and there's no way to actually join, right? There's no call to action. You're missing that big moment or opportunity to support in some way. Now, let's- Well, not only are you missing
1: the opportunity to support, you're missing the opportunity for them to become a bigger part of the community. Right, right. right. And to be in community with the other people in the room who are supporting that work.
2: Well, and let's say, for example, that you weren't actually trying to raise money, that this was an awareness campaign. Yeah. And let's say, for example, that you were trying to build awareness and recognition in Savannah, Georgia, about the increased need for housing so that you could move forward a bond measure. The call to action in an event scenario like that may be as equally important as getting people to sign on and endorse a bond measure. But that invitation to say, we want you to be a part of something and then giving people an avenue to be a part of something is powerful and it's rewarding and honestly, the science and the neurochemistry behind the giving and the amount of positive, good vibes and joy that comes out of giving is really a powerful, tremendous opportunity to be able to move a donor into being an invested major donor for your organization. So, this moment in the event is the thing that we spend most of our time on because it's so powerful. Yep, It engages people for the long term. It moves them to give. It has this sense of community and a feeling of being a part of something. Now, we've all attended events where it's been done poorly, and it feels gross. (laughs) Yeah. And it feels like they're just begging for money. Yeah. But when it's done well, it can be that thing that leaves you feeling inspired, that leaves you feeling like you are a part of something that can actually induce this huge sense of joy. And after a really good special appeal, I've had guests come to me and say, this is the best event I've ever been to. And the only thing we had done at that point is raise money. We hadn't had a dance party. We yep. hadn't had entertainment. Yep. It was that moment of feeling a part of something and feeling the reward of achieving something together that's so powerful. So that's why we spend so much of our yeah. time there because it's an invitation in from the get-go. It starts with the marketing of the event, but also we have development directors, really good development directors we work with that say, you know, my major donors on an annual basis average $1,000 a month or $1,000 a year as sort of a major donor benchmark. But with this event, I'm able to move that $1,000 donor into a ten dollars or a $25,000 yep. gift because of that invitation to be visibly recognized, yep. to be celebrated at an event, to be a lead gift.
1: And to emotionally move them. Absolutely. In the moment, in a room with so many other people. I mean, the worst you're going to do is ask. Right. And they don't give. But right. if you don't ask, they won't give either. Let's, um, let's get into how to do a special appeal well. Okay. Because I think we can keep sort of talking about the importance of it, but I think when we start to walk through the components of it, like because a lot of people look at that and be like, yeah, I'm not going to get $75,000 out of our room. Let's show you the tools you can get to make what feels achievable and just a little bit Mm -hmm. more for your organization and how you can continue to grow that over time. So um, the elements of the special appeal, let's start with story.
2: Okay. Well, let let me say there's three elements. Yes. Because I think it's important that we touch on and hit all three of these elements in an appeal. So one, a really compelling story that moves the emotional connection. Two, a very strong call to action that's clear about what you're asking people to do. And then three, an overlaying strategy about how you're going to actually collect the gifts. So story, ask, strategy. Three elements of a special appeal. So let's dive into story. So story is the strongest, most powerful way that we have to emotionally connect people to mission. And we can list our programs, we can list our outcomes, we can provide statistics and analytics, and none of those do what a single individual's impact story can have. Now, when I say a single story, I think a lot of organizations struggle with that because they offer such a diverse array of services but there is a lot of research that has gone into that idea of a single story connecting and representing the whole. Yep. So we have a couple of different sort of resources there I want to be able to share. So Paul Zak, neuroscience researcher, has done a bunch of research in which he has used a single story to ask folks about giving. And when he uses a story versus a case statement, he sees giving go mm-hmm. up tremendously. And the story can be as simple as, this is what life was like before, this is how the organization impacted me, and this is how what life is like now. And in that story, it allows the viewer to walk through someone else's shoes, right? I don't have to necessarily have it to experience addiction to understand someone else's journey with addiction, I don't have to necessarily have um, had impact in music education to understand the impact of music education on this particular individual. So narrative allows me as a viewer to walk through someone else's shoes, but it create narrative also creates an emotional connection. A lot of organizations make the attempt of having a a different story represent every (laughs) single program. Yep. Your donors are more sophisticated than that. They understand that this isn't all that you do. This is a representation of the impact you have. So a single one-person journey allows you to dive deeper into that story with the limited time and attention span of our guests. So we love to do that in a video because we can show so much more than we can with a speaker on a stage. Plus, a speaker on a stage is going to have just like the nervous ums and ahs and let me think about that and I'm going to repeat that. Whereas a video allows us the editing ability to create something really powerful in a short amount of time. And we can both tell and show yep. in a video. Yep. We can also add things like vid- uh, photos, B-roll and music. And music is a really powerful emotional, yep. emotive sort of movement as well. So that moment creates the emotional connection and we want people pumped up with the oxytocin and cortisol release that happens in a story. Because if we have all those yummy juices flowing, when we then step up and ask for support, we're able to move people from that decision-making maker making center that is centered in belief. And I'm doing this because it feels good. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. I'm doing this to be a part of the bigger community because other people are doing it. So that story sort of creates and sets the stage for us to be able to ask for money.
1: Well, and I think the other thing that's really interesting about having a story viewed in a room with many people is not only are you having an individual empathetic connection between your donor and your work, more specifically, the impact of your work. But those donors are having that experience in a room together. With a study out of the UK where they hooked viewers of live theater up to machines that measures heart monitors and and all of that activity, they found that in a room full of strangers watching the same thing on stage, those heartbeats synced in the room. And not only did they sync in the room when those folks went out to intermission They stayed synced. So you've created this milieu or this environment that your special appeal is going to to drop into where people in the room, strangers in the room are actually connected by virtue of how you're telling this story.
2: And that's a really powerful moment, right? So story, I want to just impress upon people. Find a really good video partner. Work give yourself lots of time to work on identifying a single participant in your mission who can come and speak to the impact of your mission. And we've had a lot of organizations say we're not a people people-centered yep. organization. But at the root of all of our all of our missions there is a human impact. So, yep. humane society You know, you could tell the story of a single animal being housed, but more importantly, from an emotional connection for your audience, you could tell the the impact of the family on that dog being housed with them. So that single story, I would say, if you can't find that story, dig a little deeper, start asking people publicly, what impact have we had on your life? My guess is you'll have staff members and board members all come forward with stories And even some organizations have started to create kind of like a story archive where they ask people to submit or send in their impact story so that when they get to their event, they can identify and pull someone forward. Now, a lot of folks immediately come to us and say ethical storytelling (laughs) demands that we don't actually tell the story of our client. And if you listen to our past episode about ethical storytelling, you want to push back and say that Ethical storytelling means that you are allowing the person whose story it is to tell their own story. Yep. You don't want to tell the story of a client. You want your client telling that story yep. because that becomes sort of an empowering moment, an impact moment to move them into a place of owning their own journey. And this doesn't have to be that they would be nowhere without you. They are a full human with all sorts of needs and and sort of resources that they bring to this moment. And dreams. And dreams. For their future and what that looks like. All the things. But that your organization had an impact on them is the key critical piece to the story. The other thing I want to say before we leave the topic of story is that that person is best if they are on the other side of their journey, meaning that they have some rear view perspective. So let's say, for example, you're a school and you want a student to speak to your work. An alumni who can look back on their experience at the school and how it set them up for success in the future is always going to be better than someone who's currently in the program because that allows them to have perspective and depth and honestly, an end to their story. So that story moment is always best when it is a single person who can tell their own story, who represents the, the impact your work has, that is human centered, and where they have perspective on the impact. Now, it could be someone that's still in your programs, but someone who's been in your programs long enough that they see the impact right. of the program on them.
1: Which I think is especially important when we're talking about um, people potentially coming through trauma.
2: Oh, and absolutely.
1: And I think that's often where the guards come up for organizations, rightfully so. Yes. You should take care of your people, right? We are, the, the goal here is not to have the telling of the story re-traumatize anyone. No. And that's why duration and sort of time away from those events can really help someone own their narrative. I mean, there's a whole neuroscience to when you can make right. a narrative out of your trauma, it's no longer in that active part of your brain. So I think there's a whole big piece here. But I do think to your point, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone, someone who is 10 years down the road, who may may not remember much about their time spent with you. That's not necessarily what we're advocating. But we want to make sure you're taking care of people and taking yeah. care of their journey and their story. So let's talk
2: Ask well. It's interesting that you just shared the little neuroscience nerdy bit there.
1: <laughs> I'm good. I'm always good for a neuroscience nerdy bit. The
2: nerdy bits are the best part because that's actually where like <laughs> the the juice of the why yep, lives. Totally. And for for the next beat of your appeal, once you've told that story, the next sort of immediate need is a call to action for your audience, and. When you have someone who has had that little moment where they have been able to turn their experience out of like reoccurring trauma and turn it into sort of a victory story, a hero's journey, Mm -hmm. they no longer are reliving that trauma. They're now able to have perspective. Right. I mean, what you said is so like juicy because it physically in the brain chemistry when you tell your own story, especially when you can create a full narrative out of it, like a before, during, and after, yep. you physically move where that memory lives for you in yeah, your brain. Yeah, it's able
1: to go in the file cabinet. And you right. can open the file cabinet drawer and pull that out, pull the folder out, sift through it if you want, but then it can go back in the file cabinet.
2: So you're no longer yep. like reliving the trauma over and over. You now can say this happened. Yep. Um, And so when someone has that magic moment where they are like the hero of their own story, the most powerful, compelling beat for the call to action is to invite that person to the stage to make the call to action.
1: The record just screeched for like half of our listeners. They're like, oh, no, that can't happen. (laughs) We We can't do that. that. We won't do that. So let's lay out best case and then let's invite them in to listen to why.
2: Okay, That's an important piece. If we're building momentum in our entire event, we're trying to build to the fundraising moment, right? And we should talk about when that moment is. But we're building that energy to that moment. Yep. When we have emotionally invested and connected people to someone's personal journey, the second that your MC says, now please welcome this person to the stage, <laughs> the room goes, <gasps> They're a real person in the room with us. It's not just like a character on TV anymore, right? right? Like this is a real person. And that helps build momentum because this is what happens. The audience has an aha moment that they're a real person and it immediately takes that screen presence right into the room. There's this like sort of quantum leap that happens for folks and they're like, this is someone here with us tonight. Yeah. Then that person makes their way to the stage, and there is this, like, sort of price is right, come on down moment. I do not recommend that you try to do a dramatic effect where the video ends and the lights come up and no. she's standing there. No, people won't understand that the person who's at the gala in the gown, all dressed up for the gala, is the same person that you no. video. Let it be human. Yes. So let it be real. Let your MC introduce them. Yep. It has just a much more powerful implication for the audience to understand that they're really a real yep. person here. They have this energy surge as they're moving to the stage and. Every time, it's like clockwork. Every time as they're moving toward the stage, the audience's applause increases. So there's this energy build that you're creating. Then they get to the stage, and I don't care how comfortable or uncomfortable on that stage in that moment they are. They will have an earnest human response. They could be like the world's best public speaker, and they'll still have an earnest human response. They could be totally uncomfortable and nervous and still have... A human response. So that moment of. Because this
1: room is coalescing around their success.
2: Around them. Around them and
1: their success.
2: And that moment of response usually yields back an even bigger response. I have this memory that just like comes to me about this one event we did where the story was the story of a father and son who had both had addiction. The story was really the son's story, but it was told through the father's eyes because he had engaged this organization to help in their addiction, in his son's addiction and recovery. Um, when we introduce that son to the stage, he had that Price is Right moment. His dad was waiting for him on the stage. They had a big hug. He turned around and had a reaction to the audience applauding, and he got teary and the whole respond, the whole room responded. But then he kind of got choked up and couldn't say anything at first. And the room stood on their feet and started chanting his name. And it was, we've got you, you've got this. And I can't tell you how powerful that was to have that moment Where not just the like emotional connection between dad and son, but that this is a real person here that I've now learned his whole story. And here he is being human and vulnerable. And he left that stage and was like, that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. Like he was so empowered in that moment. So I want to step back and say, I uh, I use the words (laughs) I don't care if. I do care if the person is set up for success. You want them to feel comfortable going on that stage. But the truth is, whether or not they are a expert speaker or not a trained professional, there will be that human connection element that happens when a real person is on stage. Polish is not
1: the priority. Polish
2: is not the priority. Honesty,
1: earnestness, and having that be a real moment is what's happening.
2: And the other component of that is if you're worried about setting your client up for success, if you're worried about them being on stage and telling their story, if you allow them to be the hero, if you allow them that like superhero moment in front of a crowd, it actually is a really big part of kind of a healing practice. So if someone has gone through trauma, we've had a lot of DV survivors share their stories. It's incredibly vulnerable, but when they come off that stage, one of the first things we hear from them is how powerful they feel and how strong they feel. And then it gives them the chance to be a hero. So story into ask. Now the actual ask when they step to the microphone can be so short. They don't have to do anything like retell their story, we just witness their story. It can be as simple as these words. This organization made a huge difference for me and I'm here to ask you to give generously. That's it. That's yep. all they have to say. Yep. But it's a simple call to action that says to the audience You've been in relaxed audience mode, sit back watching my story, and now I'm asking you to join and participate. Really simple. Very few words, one or two lines, very short call to action. Yep. Ask. That's the ask.
1: And I think the other piece here that you alluded to that I want to make sure all of these are supported in chaperoned moments for your speaker, Yeah, meaning that speaker whether galas are their environment or not should show up. They should have a wing person. They should be taken yes. care of. They should be pumped up. They should be let know what's going to happen in advance. They should have permission for the whole thing in advance. When they get there, they should be received off the stage, told how amazing they did. Um, I think the success in the support is also also translate to how they feel on that stage, owning that moment and what that can look like. Um, let's talk about the third part which is collection. The collection.
2: So the collection is how are we going to ask people to give?
1: <laughs> Literally mechanisms of giving.
2: Yes. And I'm going to tell you the more active the collection, yes. the more recognition people get, the more you raise. So you've built all this momentum and energy. The worst case scenario is to open with an ask and no one gives, right? Right. Crickets in the room. It literally like sucks the oxygen out of the room. So the best case scenario is to have a couple of gifts early in your appeal strategy that are setting the bar, setting the benchmark, are kicking off your fundraising with a sort of lead gift. Right. So our best practice is to use paddle if you can in the room. It's much faster than a text to give, and it removes any barriers. So a paddle as a form of giving is always going to raise the most. Second, if you're using any sort of hybrid event or you have a room where you want people both participating online and at home giving, the ability to use one of your event tools like Greater Giving or PayBee. Network for Good, One Cause. There's so many great platforms that allow you to enter the name of the donor as the paddle is going up and also allows the donor at home to give and have their name show up. So if you have any sort of ability to show the names on the screen while the giving is happening, that also motivates giving in a tremendous way. In fact, I have seen events where donors have given multiple times to see their name keep showing up mm-hmm. on the screen. So Susan Howlett, past episode we have where she really talked about that sort of power of connection, community, recognition to motivate giving. This is that moment. Yep. This is the moment where people can feel like they are a part of something, can feel like they're impacting the mission and that they're doing good, but can be recognized and celebrate for it. So paddle going up, I get seen, right? But my name on the screen, I get seen even more. So those two things in combination will always raise more than an envelope. Now, if you have to do an envelope, if you're in an environment where you don't know giving levels, you don't have pre-committed gifts, you're not really sure about the success, then in an envelope scenario, I would always physically hand people the envelope. Don't have it at their place setting or on the table somewhere. Simply have volunteers ready with a stack of envelopes and go table to table with a stack and ask them to pass it around. That physical activity of reaching and being handed an envelope increases the return rate by more than like 60%. So that at least is a way to make it more active. And you can make it even more active by asking folks to fill it out and raise it up. So that they can be seen giving, and then that's the sign to come around and have volunteers collect it. If it's drop it on the door on your way out, you're never going to raise okay. as much money as it's right now in the moment this is my chance to be seen as a supporter.
1: Yep, you get a lot of uh, folded, empty, blank envelopes returned right. at the door. Yes. Okay, so that's just, that's scaffolding. Yes. Those are the, the, the those are the aspects of the special appeal you have already brought into the room and I want to take a quick break and we're going to come okay. back to and get into levels, uh-huh? Pre-commits, strategy. All, the all, strategy. Of, all of the good juicy stuff. So let's take a break and
0: thank some of our partners. Great.. The fundraising elevator is recorded at the AV department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audio visual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. in bringing people together. Our online learning platform for fundraising events has webinars, workshops, downloadable tools, and more designed to save you time and stress when planning your next event. We're getting nonprofit, development, and event planning professionals the tools and ideas they need to create events that inspire donors and raise more money. So join us at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes.
1: We are back with one of my favorite, well, not one of, my favorite human, Sam Swaim, who is um, the just sort of the most strategic brain I've ever met on the special appeal. So that is why today we are dedicating this. She's shaking her head at me it's, for those not no, watching. No, I
2: agree. But it's like where I spend it's, it's your joy. all my energy. It's my it, joy, yes. It's your
1: joy, but it's also the impact, right? Yeah. This is the fundraising moment. So um, we set up prior to the break, sort of the frame for what a special appeal is and sort of how generally it works and what that looks like. I want to start honing in on strategy because I think just simply having a special appeal (laughs) is sort of like just throwing a party and hoping folks come. Right. That that when folks sit in an event that feels amazing and they're watching this insane off the wall, like big gifts and all of these people falling suit, that that is very strategic. That has been set up, that has been put together hours and hours and hours of relationships and talks with donors and coming back to the table and figuring out what those pieces are. So I want to pull the curtain back on big picture, what some of those pieces are. So let's talk about what it actually is to execute a paddle race. Okay. And what that looks like.
2: So there's a couple of key elements. And I think that a lot of folks go into their fundraising event going, we hope we raise money. We don't <laughs> know how much we'll raise. And what I want to kind of turn on the head is what if we actually built a strategy so we knew we were raising money oh. and had a, p- a plan and a path about and how that to you raise that money.
1: Can I think a lot yeah. of people feel like it's
2: magic. Right. Like right. fundraising isn't magic. It's strategy. It's strategy. Yeah, yep. and relationships. Those Absolutely. are the two keys. So Absolutely. The very first thing that I'm always looking for is who is the biggest potential donor in my room? And how do I have a conversation with them in advance to know that they are going to kick off the fundraising? Yep. So sometimes that, to your point, the question about an invitation in, sometimes a development director can really use an event as an opportunity to take a $5,000 donor and move them to become a $25,000 donor by simply saying, you've been a big contributor. And I want to talk to you in advance of our event about kicking off our fundraising. We would like to start our paddle raise at $25,000. Would you consider a gift at that level and be willing to kick us off? You're simply going to get a yes or no. They may negotiate a different level that they're willing to give, which is great. Yep. But wherever you land in the discussions with your top biggest donors, wherever you feel like, here's where I know gifts are coming in, that's where you start your fundraising. So if the biggest gift you have pledged is at 25000 you start there. If your biggest gift you have pledged is 500 you start there. Because you want to do this sort of magic little moment where what you're doing is you're telling and showing the audience that people support this cause and you can trust that this is a cause to give to Unfortunately, if you start your fundraising really high and there's crickets and nothing happens, the longer you go, the more distrust you're building. So if I start at 25 and there's nothing, and then I go to 10 and there's nothing, and then I go to five and there's nothing, by the time I get a gift, let's say it's at 5 Let's say it's a thousand dollar gift. By the time I get that gift, it feels a little bit like a pity gift. And now everyone in the room is feeling a sense of distrust. Like, should I even give? So the most critical element for your appeal is that you need to have your lead gift that kicks things off already locked in. And you need that person ready and willing to raise that paddle high right at the start because you want that momentum. You want that energy in the room of someone raising a paddle. You can just announce, like, thanks to this person who's giving, thanks to this person who's giving, and you lose the momentum. But when you ask, is anyone in at $10,000, and Kristen raises her paddle at $10,000, the room explodes in applause. And now you've created a little bit of a sense of trust a sense of excitement a sense of oh now i know how to do that yep. i'm going to join in so the first element is you need to know your lead gift second you're going to start at your highest gift and work down yep. you don't want to invite everyone in at a dollar and then try to work up once everyone got their recognition and applause it's unlikely that you're going to move <laughs> people up so you want to start at that high level yep you want a high enough level that it sets the benchmark high and then you want to make sure that you have at least your first three gifts in a pre-commit, what I call like already pledged. It's not fake money. It's not a demonstration of a gift that was used or repurposed yep. from somewhere else. This is a conversation with a donor in the room asking them if they will pledge and make a gift um, during the event. Now, occasionally we have a donor say, yes, but I'm not going to be in the room that's fine. Yeah. We can have someone raise a paddle on their behalf and we even name that. We'll say, that's Kristen giving on behalf of April. And that moment still tells the audience that there is a donor ready and willing and showing up. And it also sets that like momentum in place. So yep. there's a video that we'll actually include yeah. that. Um, if you're watching for our listeners that are listening, if you're um, if you tune into the YouTube, there's a demo and you can see that in that demo, when you have enough momentum build, it becomes like a cascade waterfall. Yep. And all of a sudden you hit a tipping point. And when you hit that tipping point, it's like the whole room is in. Yep. So top to down. So high level to lowest. Yep. Also, you don't necessarily want to go super low. Right? right. You want to understand where the critical mass of your audience is, where have they given before, and where can you maybe nudge or move them up? But we've had organizations, you know, go as low as $10, change and dramatically increase their fundraising when they decided to stop their fundraising at 50 or stop their fundraising at 100 and say, this is our last level of giving, because what that does is it says, if you want to be recognized, this is your last mm-hmm. chance.
1: They can still give the 50 or the 10. Yes. But if you want this room to applaud for you when yeah, you throw that card now. up in the re- in the air, it's happening now. Yeah.
2: So you want to start high. You want to go low, but not too low. Yep. You want to announce your last level of giving always because yep. that sets sort of now or never. Um, And then when we get to the very end, we always want an invite for anyone we may have missed. Now, here's the interesting thing. Anyone we may have missed might mean any number of gift sizes, right? So we typically will go in big numbers, right? 25,000, 10,000, 5,000, 2,500, 1,000. But let's say, for example, that someone is celebrating a 50th birthday, They might want to give a $50 gift. They might have, um, you know, the class of 2024 graduating. They might want to make a $2,024 gift in honor of that. So if you open it up, is there anyone in the room that we missed? If a paddle goes up, you ask them how much, and then you can track and log their gift. Now, sometimes we've had donors raise their paddle. We started at 10 They raise their paddle and they say, I'll give 25000 And so that, the room just explodes. But we always give that final offering of, is there anyone I missed? And then if no one raises their paddle, you can say, if there's still a gift you would like to make, please, on your way out the door, stop by registration. And we usually see that at least one person will do that. They'll stop at registration and say, I want to make a $10 gift or a $20 yep. gift. So you're not leaving the opportunity for people to give. You're just setting kind of a benchmark and encouraging a stretch for folks. Yep.
1: There are several key moments here I want to just sort of sift through and pull up for okay. folks to keep to keep coming back to. One, you need to have conversations with donors in advance, Yes, you need to know some of those top key gifts so that you can understand how to lay out a strategy. And then when you've laid out the strategy, you need to communicate it back to those donors so that they know, okay, at the $10,000 level, I'm throwing my card in the air.
2: Yeah. We actually have a event coming up in which they have a $15,000 gift and we don't have a $15,000 level. And if I acknowledge that gift at 15, it's likely the only one that we're going to have. So instead, we've communicated back to the donor that we would like them to raise their paddle at 10 and at five, because then we can make a big deal out of giving again. Again. You bet. So that strategy communication has to go back to them for sure.
1: Yep. So most, uh, from that, I want our development friends to hear that most of your work in advance of your event, is having those communications with your donors so that you can make a map. You should know going into your special appeal what success is going to look like based on what you know is already on the table. It's not a wing it moment. No. No. In you fact, can be surprised in a good way, but you should have a baseline that you know you're operating from.
2: Well, and also in the not a wing it moment, I want to also just emphasize the importance of having someone execute this that is a fundraiser. And I don't mean like a board chair who's really good <laughs> at fundraising. I mean a professional yep. fundraising host or auctioneer. Yep, This is what they do seven times a week, sometimes more. Um, they are experts in understanding how to read the room, how to move giving, how to celebrate a gift, how to recognize that gift. And I have had some events that have made that big leap where they've gone from a low dollar event to a high dollar event because we applied a lot of strategy and we needed someone to execute that that could show up and just nail it. And having a fundraising host that can do that, that is an expert in that, that is a trained charity auctioneer is critical. So in the not winging it, there are a couple of key things that we've talked about that I want to recap. You need to spend some time setting your storyteller up for success, putting together a great story, helping them feel comfortable and setting them up for success on the stage. You need to have paddles, the logistics of paddles or a giving mechanism that allows people to be recognized. You need to talk to your donors to have some pre-committed gifts set up in the room so you know what your starting levels are and you know you have momentum out of the gate. And then you need someone that can execute this. And we haven't even like touched on all the layers of the appeal strategy, but you need a partner in it that not only could help you execute, but might see even before the event starts opportunities, right? We work with a couple of different auctioneers. In fact, we've had Dale Johannes on the show already. We have Kelly Russell coming up on the show. And both of them will participate in pre-event conversations yeah. with the donor to totally understand who maybe isn't pledged but has a lot of potential in the room. And we'll go to, up to them at the event and start a conversation with them about their giving tonight. They will kind of precede seed and pre-plant the idea of showing up big and raising their paddle early. They also will help you develop that strategy to see where is there an opportunity for us to leverage more giving and maybe where is there a chance for me to push because They want that momentum to keep going. They don't want to, like, drive a truck through your event. You want that energy and that feel-good momentum. But at the same time, if there's a chance that you could really move your audience to show up big at a level because that's where they generally have showed up big before, they might linger there a little bit longer or push a little bit harder. So in the not winging it strategy, (laughs) the development team is working on those critical elements. It's those gifts lined up. It's a partner that can execute. It's having a plan so that not only do your donors know what to expect, that, are part of this plan, but also that you have someone on stage that can execute it.
1: Yeah, and I think what's important here is laying out a plan in, in advance of key targets for the different levels that you're anticipating in your appeal. But what that shouldn't mean is when you have Sam being super generous and saying, you know what, I was at 10 last year. I'd really like to come in at 25 this right. year. And you're like, I don't have anybody else that maps close to that. And be like, "Uh, no, we, it would make more sense for the appeal if you gave us 10. Right. Take the 25. Like, go get all the money and then bring it back and then you can craft the strategy with yes. your with your fundraising host or your or your auctioneer or your strategist and then you can re-communicate out to those donors and say hey what if we help make that 25 gift you've given Make 25 more in a match. And I want to come back after the break and kind of start to get into some of, some of the match and how those are really the slingshots, how moving levels of people up and creating matching opportunities for folks within your strategy can really be some of the keys to success. So let's take a break, thank our partners, and we'll be
0: right back. Great. Loving the fundraising elevator, but wondering how you can talk to Sam and Kristen? Well, now's your chance to do it. Book one-on-one consulting time with Swain Strategies experts, Sam, Kristen, and Mary, and get all your event questions answered. Our team has you covered on strategic planning, fundraising strategy, storytelling, data tools, and registration support. Get the tools and the help you need to make the most impact at your fundraising event. Book at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. Events have a unique power to create an immersive experience for your donors and your mission. That's why we created the Elevate Conference to teach you the tools for planning a successful fundraising event. Join us for Elevate 2024 on February 1st and 2nd. This hybrid fundraising conference will be hosted at Avenue in Portland, Oregon and broadcast online for a virtual audience. You'll get practical tools, demos, and templates you can implement right now. Join us. The Elevate Conference is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com and is presented by Swaim Strategies and the AV Department. To find out more and register, visit ElevateNonprofit.com today.
1: We are back with Sam Swaim. We are back talking about the special appeal, which is the largest moment of fundraising potential during your event.
2: It sure is. It's the
1: if you pot are not, at
2: the end of the rainbow.
1: Pot at the end of the. Ra- if you are not spending your time, attention, cultivation here, you will limit your capacity for fundraising. Yes. Period. The end. So before the break, we were talking about sort of how to run and execute the the paddle raise or the special appeal or all the many things that it said. I want to sort of very strongly uh, encourage folks to not restrict any of these funds. So I think historically, sometimes this moment has been used to, let's raise money for X this year, Right. the pool, the this, the that, the other. Legally, what happens when you do that is you obligate all of those funds to that project. Right if that project can't get done, gets delayed, never gets off the ground, you have to go back to all of those donors and get them to say yes to something else. Yes. In the meantime, you may not be able to make payroll or keep the lights on. Right. So this should be unrestricted funding you are raising money for. Yeah.
2: I think that that might be like the sort of most strategic recommendation, (laughs) but also the most mind blowing for people is that your mission is enough. Like, Funding and supporting the mission, understanding that you make impact in the world, and then seeing my community around me supporting it, I want in. I don't need to be funding a particular thing. I trust you as the organization to know how best to spend that money and make impact. As soon as you narrow the scope and the field, now I'm sort of like, I don't really know that Mm -hmm. I care about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that uh, funding the pool is (laughs) my top priority. My child might be in athletics and I'd rather fund the football field, right? That you start to divide your audience apart when you are getting into fund this thing and then you're restricting it. Unrestricted revenue is so hard to come by in the nonprofit sector, Every grant we get is restricted. Every contract we have is restricted. This is your chance to say, fund our mission, it's important. And that's enough. So I think... It's actually an easier story. It is. It really is. And I think that to the sort of question about momentum and energy in your event... The second that you put a barrier, like, let us tell you about our vision for the playground and why we're asking you to fund a monkey bar or fund a swing set or fund a slide, you, like, interrupt my emotional connection, right? So that personal connection, client story, I'm already there. I'm already in it. Just ask me to fund that work. You don't need to ask for now. Let us explain to you the ways that we're going to funnel these resources. Yeah, and that's you, for the thank you letter. Honestly, the totally. thank you letter should tell them what they're funding.
1: Totally, and that's what I was going to say. We have built-in mechanisms within all of our organizations yes. that do all of that report out. Your, you know, end of year annual report, blah blah blah. And to your point about grants and other specific funding that make your life and reporting more challenging because it can only be used for X, Y, or Z. Right. Having a pot of money that you can use for the other pieces as you see fit is a nonprofit being able to do their work. Yeah. Yep. That's true. So let's talk about, before the break, we started getting into this idea of using special appeal pre-commits to help make more money to create more opportunities in the room. So I'm wondering if you can talk about momentum within the special appeal and some of the mechanisms strategically that you use to help make that happen.
2: Okay. So there are a couple of opportunities in that paddle raise moment to really leverage momentum to encourage more giving. So as soon as you have a starting gift, that says the bar is high. But when you have a couple of people jump in and you create that tipping point, it also says you're going to be the cool kid by giving, <laughs> not the cool kid by sitting out watching this right. happen, right? So now you have this like peer influence that's happening. But additionally, most organizations, their board of directors are an influ- influential yep. group in the room, right? They brought their friends, they're hosting a table. That's the goal. Right, that's the hope <laughs> is that they're sponsoring yeah. a table, that yep. there's some... There's some connection to them and other guests. Maybe as a board member, they only have two or three guests that they know, but they have influence over those guests. So another strategy we can apply is asking our board to all show their support during the paddle raise, because as soon as they show support, they they create an, a peer influence for their guests. So that's sort of a, a key momentum factor. But... You mentioned the case where you ask for $10,000 gift and someone says I can give you 25 but you don't have other giving in the room that creates a big chasm or gap. We actually just had an event that we were working on where they had a $50,000 gift and then they had a $5,000 gift and that gap was a big chasm. So we actually started the fundraising at 5. We raised money 52500 five, but when we got to the $1,000 level we looked at their giving history, and a lot of their donors had either given it 1000 or 500 the year prior. So we used that $50,000 gift as a matching challenge in which we called that donor and said, could we leverage and utilize your gift to inspire 50 more gifts at the $1,000 yeah. level? And for every time someone makes a gift, you will make another $1,000 gift, hopefully getting us to that benchmark of 50 And they said, yes. And so when we got to the $1,000 level, we announced this matching challenge in which we celebrated the person who was the $50,000 donor. We then announced that we needed 50 gifts to match their level of giving. And as those paddles went up, we acknowledged all those paddles and all of a sudden got to kind of a slowdown in the room. And we had about 32 gifts. that we going 37
1: is usually the yes. like slow down to 50. Yeah.
2: And so it was like we hadn't quite hit 50, yep. but we weren't so far away that it was unattainable. Yep. And with a really good fundraising host, they bring with them a recorder that is logging every gift who can immediately tell them we're at 32. So now this... State person on stage, this um, auctioneer knows that they have a few more that they need to yep. go. And so they announce to the room, we only have 32 gifts. We're not quite there. Help me raise, you know, help me see a few more gifts. And they'll see a paddle go up, then another paddle. And all of a sudden, we're back in the world where we've created momentum. And now they're like cheering and celebrating. And they might get it to, I think in this case, we got it to about 42 gifts. Now it became the shortfall. We're only eight gifts away. Eight is very attainable, right? Eight feels very doable. And the room started cheering and cheering and cheering. And someone jumped in, raised their paddle, and said that they would do $5,000, five gifts of $1,000. Now we only need three and four paddles went up in yep. the air and we exceeded it. So that superhero moment of being the last person to meet a challenge and have the applause – can be very powerful, that like we're collectively in this together can be very powerful. And then that challenge where we are all reaching this goal together is very powerful. So all of those together, a matching challenge can be very impactful.
1: Well, and what's interesting too, is thinking about that $50,000 donor in the first place. Right. They were compelled by your mission to say, I'm going to put in 50. It feels like an amazing opportunity to to say, we want to use your 50 to make 50 more. So in essence, I'm ground zero for 100. Right. Right. So what an amazing place to put your donor.
2: Well, and it truly is a matching challenge in that if they had not been willing to leverage their gift in that way – we probably wouldn't have even gotten the first 32 gifts, yes. right, because it was that big call to action that motivated a few more people to maybe move up in their giving and motivated a few people who had given at high levels of capacity to give again. Yep. So we collectively were on this path toward a goal that would not have achieved the same result if we didn't have that challenge in the room.
1: Right. And what's interesting is that if you have a special appeal that's starting at $5,000, but you have this $50,000 donor over here, when yeah. they pop up at a level, like to me in the back of my brain is a potential person throwing one of those 50 cards up in the air. I'm like, whoa. right? Like this person, not only $5,000 thinks they're awesome, it's like 10 times that. There's yeah. something they see and want to inspire yeah. and be a part of. And- I've I say this often in a special appeal for me as a donor. There is nothing more compelling than doubling or tripling my money. Yeah, like it becomes an easy in for me to stretch. If I everybody has, we are all fundraising attendees. Uh We have preset notions of like we can only give X amount tonight, right? So emotionally move me to reach beyond that. But then present me a really great offer. Yeah, absolutely. And a really great offer is if I was going to limit myself to giving you 500, all of a sudden you present me an offer at the $1,000 level to essentially take that $5,000, bump it up to $1,000, and now you get two, like that's just such a compelling piece for me to finish my emotional connection with you and feel not only kind of good about what I did, I stretched a little further. I'm awesome. And now you end up with this sort of cascade effect that is is promoting that in all the other ways. So when we talk about momentum in a room, it's sort of like if you imagine... Uh, the matrix happening on in 3D, it's happening all kinds of different ways. You're leveraging generosity to leverage more generosity. And every gift you're getting at that level of those 50 donors is also inspiring people at the levels you're still coming to. Yeah. And so I think when we think about crickets happening at levels in a room, you will never achieve what you want to achieve at certain levels when you don't set the levels up beforehand to make that right. happen. It's sort of like, come, you know, that idea of coming in on the tailwind of, right? right? Like people are coming into a slipstream and when it's executed and firing and feels successful and we're hitting things up at the top, that, that tip right. sort of happens. And, and that creates the momentum in the room that all of a sudden people are like, it, it kind of starts to feel effortless
2: yeah yeah it does, and I think you know you say effortless and then we think about all the work that a development team has to do, and there's so I'm not much saying on their it plate. is it
1: feels that way though but
2: what can make it effortless for them in that moment and can reduce the stress for them in that moment is hiring a professional yep. auctioneer with a team because the recording of those gifts can come fast and furious. So having that support of someone who's recording and logging every gift, who's tracking every match, who's helping communicate to the auctioneer where we're at, if we've reached our goal, all of those things help to actually elevate what's possible in the room and improve the guest experience and reduce the stress load. So I think that there's two elements always for any event that we have to spend money on, and it's our fundraising host and our audio quality. Yep. If we don't have good audio quality, then people don't hear this beautiful program we put together, why you may have an event. Yep. So those two things I think are critical. Um, and then the last thing that I just wanted to touch on, not necessarily momentum wise, but just from your role of making it feel effortless is that sometimes a little bit extra support of your storyteller, your speaker can also make it just such an improved experience. So I actually just heard a story today of one of our organizations that they had their best fundraising appeal that they've had. We've worked with them now for I think seven years and this year was their best appeal ever. And in our wrap-up conversation and sort of post-mortem with them, we asked sort of how it went for them and where they were at. And she told us the story of her appeal speaker was um, someone who had trauma around um, houselessness. And she wanted to really just take an extra beat the day of the event to make sure that she felt some love yeah. and support around her. And so she had flowers delivered to her home with a note that just said, we're so excited for you to tell your story tonight. And then she took her to a salon to get her hair and makeup done. And at that salon, she, the client told her story to the, to the team that was doing her hair and makeup and told them how excited she was to be on stage and they donated their <laughs> services it was so good meanwhile she came into the event feeling like a million yeah, bucks absolutely. and so afterwards came to the organization and said what else can I do yep like that moment of support was an easy sort of way that the development team was able to make that moment so much more successful and effortless because their speaker felt so set up for success yes
1: It's empowerment. It is. It's It's, all about an opportunity. So earlier you talked about this, and I think we can take a couple minutes because I think it's important to frame where in your event should the special Mm. appeal Happen Because you can have the most perfectly laid out appeal, but if you are fighting against the human economics and energy in your room and you are past the peak of your arc and people are on their way out the door, no matter what you do, you can't roll back that clock. So talk about sort of what that frame is, what you look for about where to have the special appeal happen.
2: So the biggest thing that I can say is if this is a fundraising event, put the fundraising – First, that is the most important element, because you have you alluded to this momentum, this arc, right? So you have folks that are invested in being there, but after a little while, they're starting to think about the next day, the things that they have to get to, the other appointments they have, and their just energy naturally sort of declines. If you ask them at the end of the event when they're tired and they're ready to go home excuse me, and they thought that they were just getting up and walking out the door and you're like, but wait, before you (laughs) go. There's more. (sighs) That always feels kind of like, oh my God, now I'm stuck here because they're asking me for money. Whereas if you move that to the sort of front end of your program, we always recommend that you start with a welcome. You talk about the work you do and the impact it has, and then you share your appeal story and you raise your money. Then if you start with those things and then end with, the entertainment, the keynote speakers, the honorees, the celebration portion of your event, you are set up to have that fundraising happen right at that like mm-hmm. peak of engagement. And we've had organizations do nothing different other than move that fundraising ask earlier in their program yep. and see their money double. Yep, We've had guests say the experience of an event was so much better simply when they moved the timing yep. of it. So If you have even the slightest inkling of making an ask at your event and you've been inspired by any of the things we're talking about today, don't wait to the very end of your event because it's going to flop. It's going to feel unsuccessful and you're never going to want to do one again. When if you move it earlier in your program, if you help people to understand your mission and then you make that call to action, that will help everyone feel like this is a really exciting, high energy part of the event. And- The last note that I'll say on that is people can eat and give (laughs) at the same time. And that's important because if people aren't satiated, if they're not being fed and they're hungry, that will pull their attention. But if you're giving them something yummy to eat, funny enough, some foods actually increase oxytocin, you're giving them all those like bubbly, juicy things. And according to Paul Zak, as soon as we have oxytocin release in our body, fundraising goes up. So... Um, I'm going to make sure in the show notes today that we have a couple of different links. One, Derek Sievers gives this great TED Talk about how to build a mem- how to build a movement in three minutes or less. And that Ted talk is like the start of your appeal strategy. You need the, the leader, the lone nut that sort of goes out on a limb and says, yes, I'm in, I'll make the first lead gift. You need a follower that shows people how it's done. And a second follower that helps create the momentum. And then that fourth gift is what creates the tipping point. So we'll make sure you have that because it's just a great example of how that early part of your appeal can go. Additionally, um, our YouTube version, we're going to add an, a demo of a special appeal. Yep. So you can start to think about how to apply this to your event. And then the other thing that we'll include is Paul Zach has a storytelling component yeah. about the importance of that story and what that story does. So we'll add that as a link. And then if you want to learn more about your story, go back to our ethical storytelling or go back to our um, episode with Kristen about the arc of the event, because those two things can really support this yep. moment. Um, but if you are not hosting this moment in your event, if you're not asking for support, if you're not hosting a paddle raise, that one addition to your event is going to send your fundraising through the roof and make your event feel like such a smashing success.
1: Yeah. And to your point about sort of where it appears in the program, if you do nothing else, remove your dinner break. Yeah. Yeah. Because that dinner break is actually what's sending your fundraising past the peak of the arc, of right? Europe. Telling
2: people like, "We'll be back we'll later. We'll take a half an hour yeah. for
1: to have dinner. We Netflix and chill with food all the time. Yeah. Everybody's going to be just fine. Yeah, um, there will be time to socialize later. So, yeah. see, taking a look at that sequence can also help you maximize. Sam, um, I feel like we have jam packed a lot in here. I'm going to let people marinate, but how can they reach out? How can they get help with their
2: appeal? Okay, so there's a couple of things. If you are looking to apply your first appeal strategy, we have a whole bunch of resources Great. online that we want you to look up. You can just search the Swain Strategies website for all sorts of blog posts about how to do the appeal. You can go to the ElevateNonprofit.com and download tools for your appeal strategy, including bid cards, including a script. Great. So there's lots of resources there. If you are looking to next level your appeal and you want some help developing that strategy, book some consulting time with us and then join us at Elevate Conference. We hold Elevate Conference every year. It's an annual event that is a deep dive about event fundraising. And it's really a chance for folks to understand and experience that appeal in person. We give a demo. And then we do a really beat by beat dissection of that moment to really help folks understand how to apply that. And like I said, we see lots of regional cultures happening in different parts of the country. But as soon as people adopt this, this is the game changer for folks. So that's why we're spending so much time on it. We look forward to future episodes where we dive even more into the psychology of it. But um, we have so many resources out there because we know that this is the game changer for folks
1: go make your events. Great. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Sam, you're brilliant. Thanks for sharing your brilliance with everyone. Let us know how your special appeal goes. Happy fundraising. Happy Happy
0: fundraising. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group and support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.